0: for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash pod. Bye. Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! <laughs> what up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbro, and this is Living with a Pod Complex exploring albums released on Trustkill Records that were distributed by Roadrunner Records. And today, we have 2006's album by Terror, Always the Hard Way. You know, they say your most vital output as an artist is in the first ten years. Well, I guess nobody told Terror, because 20 years into their career, they're still making some of the most important music to date. In 2022 alone, they released Pain Into Power, which is an incredible album, album of the year contender. I could have been a contender. Hey, remember that? Cool. But in 2006, they were coming off of their instant classics of Lowest of the Low, their debut, into One with the Underdogs. And then later on, after Always the Hard Way, they would have Keepers of the Faith, which was kind of a resurgence of their career and probably their most well-known album to date at this point. But Always the Hard Way does not deserve to be overlooked. And it's an important album for the band, not only because it rocks, but it's also the first album where guitarist Todd Jones had stepped down, even though he's kind of back in the fold now. But at the time, he had stepped down. So drummer Nick Jett took the reins to be the primary songwriter, and this is a big deal. To the public, Todd Jones was the mastermind behind Terror's Sound that had brought them notoriety at that point, not realizing Nick was there too writing these songs with him. And what they came up with is yet another banger in the Terror canon. Nick was nice enough to take the time to talk to us about making this album, working with producer King of World Zeus, having Eddie Leeway drop the guest vocal, and what this album means to the Terror legacy.
1: It was kind of my first one where not having to rely on somebody else to write songs and write guitar riffs and stuff, and we were kind of in a a tight corner, so we kind of had to figure it out and, and make something happen, yeah, so... I started writing a lot for that record on, yeah.
0: But you guys are coming off of the the huge momentum of, you know, one with the underdogs, which is kind of like instant classic, which was also being built off the, uh, the goodwill of lowest of the low. So did you personally feel a lot of pressure under those circumstances?
1: Sure. No, I, exactly. Actually, it was a lot of pressure, at least for me, um, uh, like you said, you know, we we're kind of coming off of Lois slow Moe underdogs, and there was a lot of hype around both of those records. Uh, after that, it seemed like the hype had maybe died down a little bit, and we'd also lost Todd Jones, our, uh, our original guitar player. So, yeah, we were going into it kind of very unsure of how things were going to pan out, and can we do a full length without Todd? And, Uh, So we worked really hard on just coming up with as much material as possible. I just remember writing and writing, We wrote probably 30, 40 songs just because we wanted to make sure we had the the best of the best that we could do. So I just remember demoing a lot of stuff at, at home, even having Scott come over a lot and we would just go over just little parts, little riffs. And, you know, he would he would even sometimes kind of mouth out a riff or an idea and we would just try to piece all these songs together. But it was it was trial and error and trying to figure out uh, what we could do without Todd. And um, yeah, we started to kind of figure it out along the way. We had a few songs. That we finished, that we really really liked, and so we just tried to develop a a theme and a, just an overall vibe for the record. And we just refer, ended up just referencing all the all the records that we loved, and yeah, they were definitely influenced by the terror writing style, but it, it was a lot of just expanding um, ideas that we had gotten from all the all the records that we grew up listening to so you know coming from old new york stuff to bands from california and 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 even international bands but yeah it was it was it ended up being a really fun process because we just were able to try tons of different things and see see what stuck and um, eventually we just came up with enough stuff that we were confident enough with to you go in the studio and, and record it.
0: Do you remember what the first song was that you completed that gave you the confidence that, you know, it was all going to work out?
1: I remember there was a, a few songs that, that I'd put together and i worked pretty hard on um, and I played for Scott. So, One Step Behind was, was a song that, that I completed and um, sent over to Scott and he loved it. And that was the first time where I thought, like, okay, I can actually, I can actually do this. I can, I can write a a terror song. Um, That was one. uh, Hell to Pay was a song early on that that uh, that we had written. Also, uh, Smash Through You. There's like a kind of a big opening instrumental part and. I just remember Scott really, really liking these few songs, and that gave me the confidence to continue to to keep going with it. But yeah, it was it was tricky, you know. I'm I can play guitar a little bit, but I'm not a great guitar player. And I learned a lot from being in being in bands with Todd, so I, I knew kind of what his style was and and how he approached writing the terror song. So a lot of, a lot of what I was doing was trying to, to, you know, emulate what, what I think Todd would do to write, write the terror song. And in the end, I guess I'm going to put my own twist on it, my own style, but it was tricky. You know, I'm, I'm the drummer in the band and I'm trying to play guitar every day to try to write guitar riffs.
0: Do you think being the drummer for the band was also a, uh an asset to you to be able to kind of know how to put the total song together?
1: In certain ways, being the drummer helps with writing songs because you, you don't really have to figure out a lot of the, you're already thinking about all the rhythms and, and how, you know, what the drums are going to be doing while, while you're writing the guitar riff. Um, so that does help with, with certain things. It was a big learning curve trying to write all these songs and have them stand up. To Lois Hello and Low and One Underdogs, where uh, at this point people, you know, they really, really loved and admired a lot of these songs that uh, that Todd had written. So yeah, it was, it was, it was tricky. And in the end, I mean, I, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with how things came out, and I, I really enjoy the record. So uh, you know, we were just hoping that people would dig it. We'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at rootsmusicrambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler.
0: Yeah, I understand that Todd Jones is a celebrated guitarist for his work before, during, and after Terror, but I think that people forget that uh, you are there helping writing these songs too. And I don't feel like you quite get enough credit for the work with Todd Jones, you know, the Terror albums that have Todd Jones on it. I think people sometimes see them as these like exclusive to him masterpieces where, like I said, I mean, you're an integral part of the writing process. And I think that that's evident in the albums that come after. So when I hear always the hard way, to me, it sounds like a terror record. You know, it doesn't sound like anything is missing. It's got everything I need in it, especially on like the song, always the hard way that could just have easily been on, you know, the previous two albums.
1: You know, we, we wrote them together. It was, it was me, Todd and, and Scott. We would just get in a room and, and we would jam out these ideas. Uh, for the most part, um, you know, it def it, it wasn't like Todd would kind of write and complete a song and then bring it to us and be like, "This is how you play," it, you know. So, for the most part, we were we were putting everything together in our rehearsals, jam- jamming the songs together. So, yeah, I mean, everybody obviously we we all kind of put our our little spin on things, or even playing drums, helping Todd kind of structure things or figure out transitions yeah yeah i mean i think i think we we had the style down we knew, we knew what a terror song needed to sound like or feel like what we we're missing is you know somebody could actually lay down some riffs so yeah that that was tricky
0: so i know you write and conceive of the songs and the structures and everything like that but are you the one actually performing on the record
1: yeah yeah so yeah so this is a whole kind of tricky situation where i i I probably wasn't good enough to play the guitar tracks on the record because especially on on always the hard way, there's a lot of really kind of technical picking really it's a really fast record, and I don't think I was capable of of doing it so uh during the the demoing process, uh Carl, our bass player at the time. He would help me a lot with, with demoing the songs. And he he could learn stuff very, very quickly. So he would see me play a song or or I would do a really rough demo of it and then he would hear it and he'd be able to learn it just listening to it one time. So he he helped me demo a lot of stuff. So when it came down to going into the studio, he was... Kind of the first person that we thought would be able to actually play, play the guitar on the record. So when we made it into the studio, he was actually he had already left the band. He had quit the band to start doing his other band, First Blood, full time. So we kind of had to uh, ask a favor of him to come and fly out and and record the record. So he did that. He he flew out and he played. pretty much all the guitars on the record and, and the bass guitar also. So, um, yeah, he, he, uh, he saved the day on, on that one for sure.
0: Well, that's awesome that, I mean, it was still somebody that you are deeply familiar with and could trust, you know, that had been part of the band. Uh, like I was saying before, it's kind of a transitional period from one with the underdogs has, I think you guys have Frank, Still on guitar, who is now in hate breed you had Carl mm-hmm. on bass, who, like you said, went on to do first blood, uh Doug, who I think is still part of the band when always the hard way comes out. is that right? yeah mm-hmm. you guys have an embarrassment of riches with talent typically when it comes to the ranks of terror, so you're you're in a good position with that being a, a songwriter and then having people that can help execute your your vision for you for sure
1: yeah i I think one of the things that terror has always done is is we've kind of been able, one, we've, we've gone through so many members. So we've always been, uh, we have always had to replace people, which is kind of a drag. Uh, when we do have to find a new member, we usually find somebody that we admire that's been in a, a band that we really like. It's somebody that we're, um, we're friends with, but also is successful with their bands. So that's, you know, that's what we did when we, when we got Frank, He's now in Hapri, but before before that he was he was in a bunch of bands that we admired. He was in Ringworm and integrity. Uh so we're like, oh, we gotta get this guy and and, and you know, maybe he'll be able to help us write some write some songs. And um Doug and Carl were both in first blood. You know, even, even since then when those when those guys left the band and we were looking for for new members um, ended up getting uh busky from a crazy resume as as far as all the bands that he's played in um and then from there on it was jordan from no warning who's still in the band after i guess he's been in the band for about 13 years now uh martin who's uh, still in the band he's been in the band for 17 years or something like that but yeah we always we always get guys that are friends of ours, but also that that play in bands that we really like. That's really helped us kind of shape the overall kind of sound is, is, is finding, finding pe- players that, that we really liked that could help put their touch on, on the terror sound and, and, and the terror sound has evolved, you know, over all these years and, and different records and stuff. and, so it's just it's a cool way to kind of shape the palette of all the music that we have, is by you know getting these getting these guys in the band that can put their touch on it too.
0: The song "Always the Hard Way," uh, you know, it has kind of the biggest chorus of the of any of the songs on the album. When you finished that song, did you guys know that was going to be like the title track? That's that's what you were going to name the album after.
1: I think we're, there was talk about that song and the Hell to Pay, and uh, those were kind of, both of those were kind of written off of trying to write a song similar to maybe an Overcome, or, uh, or Push It Away, more of a, a mid-tempo, uh, a song a little bit slower that's maybe easier to sing along to. So... So yeah, it was Always a Hard Way or or Help to Pay, I think were kind of those the two songs on Always um on Always a Hard Way that that kind of had that vibe and yeah, I think I think as soon as we finished Always a Hard Way, we kind of knew that that was going to be one of the kind of bangers on the record and, and uh, we liked playing playing it a lot and and we actually out of all the songs on on that record um, that's the one we still play sometimes hard to play songs from every record I and mean, we have so many records out now but um, that that one kind of sneaks in the set still
0: yeah I think that one and Strike You Down are the only ones from this album I've ever seen you guys play
1: Yes. Yeah, you know it's a shame. It's like when a new record comes out, we try to play a lot of songs from from our our newest record and and we do at the beginning and then it eventually it's kind of we gotta see which ones actually will kind of stand the test of time and and make it for real into the set list so yeah it's it's tricky after you know having having so many records kind of trying to put together a set list and include songs from every, from every album. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me loading them up on it it only takes structure And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game.
0: Yeah. Nah man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little
1: you know Yeah yeah we all we all artists over here man I'm, y'all trying, yeah, oh, I'm trying Yeah, I'm trying, oh, I'm, trying, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Damn, me, look we all artists man we go you feel me we're gonna have this like bro, bro, me and my man like me and my man Kyle. we be like I don't know we play we play with this <laughs> shit I I gonna we play with this shit right there for a real don't play right with it take that shit
0: Well, you mentioned uh, Busky being in the band around this time from The Promise, and uh, he's yeah. also uh, a, a graphic designer in his own right, and he does the the layout for the album. Do you know? Um, yep. How this cover came to be? It seems like a very different cover from all the Terror albums. It's very distinct.
1: Scott, I think he saw something that was similar to the artwork. He maybe saw something that the the artist that 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 did this that did the artwork. The original painting he saw something like that and he was kind of going through other uh artwork that the artist had done and and saw the the painting that became the the cover of the record
0: yeah i think it's a paul rubens style painting not to be confused with uh paul rubens aka peewee of playhouse and big adventure and that one time in the movie theater fame
1: yeah so i think he he found he found that he really liked it and and he gave it to Busky to kind of put something together, yeah, and uh yeah, yeah we re- really thought it was just looked cool, looked kind of old school, like it could be a chrome mags record cover or something, and um yeah, Busky's amazing, so Busky put it all together and made it look really cool. one of the coolest things that for me at least that, that came out of the the artwork from this record was the drum company that been fortunate enough to, uh, to work with spawn drums. They were actually able to make a drum set with the artwork from always the hard way wrapped around the shells of the drums. Oh, wow. And, uh, I still got the kit. I don't play it on tour because it's gotten a little messed up from being on the road. So now I kind of keep it home. So it doesn't get messed up anymore, but it's really cool. It's got all the, all, all the shells, the, the toms and the bass drum have the, always the hard way artwork wrapped around it.
0: I just remember the, you were the first, maybe the only person I've ever seen with uh at that time, your Twitter handle on the bass drum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we were, we were kind of on it when, you know, when, when Twitter and uh, all the kind of social medias first started popping off and, and, we kind of had fun with it. You know, I, I think now it's, it's, people take the social media very serious. So uh, it's, it's a little, I feel like it's a little different. You you can't just put anything up there and you, you just have to assume that people are going to take it serious now. And um, so we used to have, have a lot of fun with, with Twitter and, and all the, all the kind of new in, uh, social media
0: well, uh, speaking of taking things seriously and uh, fun stuff, so that's the front cover. The back cover is you wearing a hoodie that just says fuck on it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's Internal Affairs hoodie, which is one of my good friend Corey. It's, it's his band that, that he sings for. But yeah, they had this hoodie just on the front, just says fuck, which is awesome.
0: <laughs> that's the two things I remember about that back cover. You wearing that hoodie and Martine wearing the... Tiffany SBs.
1: At that time, we were all all collecting the the Nike SB Dunks.
0: The uh, the Roadrunner version doesn't have that on the back cover. It's just a black like track listing. They they couldn't have a
1: fuck going oh, really? across
0: international waters. Yeah. Oh, Okay. <laughs> the uh, the song "Lost." You guys do a pretty slick music video for, and that kind of go into what you were talking about. Not only with there being intricate guitar parts on here, but also just that the terror, you know, Cannon has a lot of different sounds to it. You know, the, the follow-up record, The the Damned, The Shamed, is kind of more, like, metallic. You know, I think people maybe mm-hmm. give it uh, too much of a hard time for maybe being, like, a metal record, when in reality it still sounds like a terror album, but there's, like, some guitar lead cool things on there. But uh, The Beginning of Lost kind of starts hinting at that. You know, it has that uh, kind of intro that's very, like, metal-sounding.
1: Yeah, um, I think we're all fans of some metal even when, when Todd was in the band, I mean, we started to sneak in some little things. Like, I, I remember when we were writing the song, "Lowest, Lowest, the Low. Low no! Which starts off like a player song almost. It's very kind of aggressive and has fast picking. And um, so, so I think we always, we always were influenced by those bands and it just kind of gradually kind of became more of an influence on the songwriting i think there was yeah a little a little room for expanding a little bit with some of the metal influence yeah and like you said later on it on um on later records even became more prevalent but uh yeah i mean it's always tricky to figure out how you'd like to progress with your next album um you always are trying to think of stuff that you can do that's a little bit different than the the previous and um so we were just having fun with it and we we would you know throw some different styles in there and and certain things kind of stuck and sounded cool and yeah i think that's the intro to that song is one of those parts that we thought sounded really cool scott liked it a lot Yes, we you just you just roll with it. But I, I love I love that kind of stuff. So it's like almost kind of has these a little bit more thrashy kind of chords, um, where you're not barring the full bar chord. You kind of take the main root note off of the off of the power chord, and uh, it's something that as soon as you do that, it sounds more metal. So the riff isn't necessarily very metal, but as, as soon as you kind of change the, what type of chord you're playing, then it becomes more metal sounding. But I, I love that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and Tara does a lot of stuff, especially on this album and The Damn, The Shame, where maybe the chords and the progression aren't very metal sounding traditionally, but like the the rhythms of it almost have like that groove metal aspect to it, which gives it that kind of bounce to it. What kind of influence do you think Zeus had on this record?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was a cool experience. He was awesome. He was, he was really good. I mean, we were still, still learning a lot, learning, um, how to, how to play in the studio and, um, you know, how to, all, all different things. I mean, we, we'd had very little studio experience up that we'd, you know, we'd done two records, but it was a very DIY way. Previously, previously, um, Zeus had a real nice, uh, cool studio set up. Um, and he had done so many records. He had so much experience at, uh, just lots of little things, just how to play your instrument. So you're not sounding out of tune and just making sure things sounded very clean. He, uh, he's an easy guitar player so he's like always really focusing on getting a really massive guitar tone and making the guitar sound really big i love the way that record sounds we went to him and asked for some specific kind of references we were, were real big fans of the the normandy sound uh recordings and Tom Soares, who's the engineer at Normandy Sound, and this would have been in like the late 80s into the early 90s, recorded a lot of the records like uh, Leeway's first two records, uh, later Cro-Mags records, uh, Sick of It All. He he did a a lot of cool records in the late 80s, early 90s, but they had this really big roomy kind of lots of reverb on the drums um and just very powerful and aggressive so he knew those records when we referenced that sound and so he knew he knew what to do to make a modern record but also with with those kind of tones and sounds so i think that what uh the mix that he got going on on the record is is awesome because it's very punchy and modern in certain ways but but also had that kind of real big reverb on the snare and really cool effects on the guitars and the vocals um but yeah we learned learned a lot from him and it was a really cool experience so we ended up going back to him for the for the, the record after that also
0: Yeah. One of my favorite moments on the whole record is on lost where there's like some reverb on the, on the snare near the end of the, kind of like a a bridge part of it sounds real wet and it sounds sick. It's like very powerful. Yeah.
1: Big like shotgun snare reverb sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I love that shit.
0: Well, speaking of which, uh, you know, I know that of course you worked with uh, with Igor Cavalera on that Strife record, but outside of that, do you have like a relationship with uh, the Roadrunner catalog? Were there were there bands on that label? Uh, Madball, I'm assuming for sure, but uh, anyone else that comes to mind that you were really into?
1: I mean, of course, it's, uh, those two Madball records. I lo- I love the you know I love the first Life of Agony uh, record. Um, I actually love the I love the first Blue radio record. That's great. That, that was actually a record I, um, a, a really good friend of uh, mine from from school that ended up playing in bands with, uh, his name is Edgar from LA. He, uh, he was a huge brujeria f- fan and he, and he got me into him. So we had a, I remember we had it on cassette and we would just, we would jam it driving home from school and, and yeah, that's like fucking awesome. I, lo- I love, I love that one.
0: Eddie Leeway, you mentioned Leeway, you know, with the uh, Tom Soars and, and Normandy Sound. Eddie Leeway is on uh, on the record on "So Close to Defeat." So, how did that uh, collaboration come about? You just hit him up, and we're like, "Hey, we think Leeway, Leeway rocks. Way, be on yeah. our album."
1: Yeah, you know what? I can't even remember how how we were able to get in contact with them. Not sure if this is right, but I think that's like the first thing that he that he sang on that wasn't a Leeway record, like. He had hadn't done guest vocals on any other record um, before that, so we weren't even sure if it, if he would be into it. Or I can't remember how we got a hold of him, but um, when we did get in touch with him, he was he was really into the idea. And when we were in the studio uh, at Juices, which is in kind of western Massachusetts, there was a show at CBGB's happening and it was uh bad brains with leeway and leeway was playing just their first two albums um so we drove I, I think it was just scott and i we drove down to new york city from western mass to go to the show um, which was an awesome show and at the show we, we walked in the the front of CBGBs and Steve Buscemi was sitting at the bar <laughs> at CBGBs at the Bad Brain show which was a trip. How do you do, fellow kids? But uh yeah, we after the show we we took Eddie back with us to we drove all the way back to Western Mass uh later after the show and yeah, got got him in the studio and one of the coolest things was uh trying to get him to do a bow <laughs> on the record. And I remember the, the studio at juices had two different levels. So if you were recording most of the time you were downstairs and then the control room was upstairs. Uh, and Zeus had camera, like a camera video monitor set up so we could just see him and hear him through a, through a video. Um, and obviously Zeus was able to kind of just mute it, mute the microphone so he couldn't hear us um, until we wanted him to. So we were kind of discussing, you know, how to get him to like convince him to, to do a bow on the song. And and we were all afraid to ask him. And, and so we convinced Zeus to do it. So I, I just remember Zeus, you know, clicking the, the talk back button. And asking him to do it, and he was like totally cool. He's like, "Yeah, of course I'll do that. No problem." That's awesome, and that's one of my favorite parts on on that whole on, on that record is is Eddie's part. Um, it sounds so cool, and his his, his lyrics are awesome, and um, it was a pleasure uh, having him there. And we, we got to hang out with them once. Once after that, he came to one of our shows in Long Island, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a very leeway sounding song and to have him on the song was awesome.
0: Oh yeah. It's, it's not only one of my favorite songs on this album, it's one of my favorite terror songs across the board and him being a part of it is definitely a part of that. You also have a a song with Aaron from Death Threat on here, which I know you guys have toured with Death Threat a bunch and I'm sure... He's a friend of yours, but uh, that the vocals on that almost sound like I don't feel like they were in the same studio, right? It seems like maybe he sent those over.
1: Yeah, he was he was there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing because I think his voice is like so much different than Scott's. So I think I know what you're saying. How they, they sound a little like different, like they're recorded different, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's probably just tricky to. Record his voice and have it kind of go back and forth with Scott. We were so different from each other, but I'm almost positive he was he was there. Actually, now that I think of it, I, I remember seeing a photo at Zeus's studio with with Scott Scott and Aaron together. So. Yeah, I think I'm I'm almost positive he, he was there for, for that part.
0: But, of course, the coolest, well, maybe not the coolest, but the most unique feature on here is on the Dibs Merge check-in interlude. You got uh, Mr. Dibs, famously the DJ for Atmosphere. He used to play I Will Be Heard by Hatebreed before Atmosphere would go on the stage all the time, I mm-hmm. remembered. And uh, they have yeah. a sample of the Cottonmouth Kings on this song, which is very funny to me. I don't actually know if it's a Cottonmouth King sample. It's probably just a sample from the LA News or something, but uh, definitely on the song Peace Not Greed, it opens with the same Good Evening This Is Los Angeles, and that song's got Jack Grisham from TSOL, which is pretty punk rock and hardcore, so I'm hoping, hoping that Dibs was digging in the crates and pulled out Royal Highness off Suburban Noise Records and sampled it, but... It's probably just my imagination. Is there something looking back that you would do different with Always the Hard Way?
1: I guess maybe less songs on the record? Cuz I think around that time it was very the trend was to have these these kind of longer 15, 16 song albums and I don't know how many tracks are on Always the Hard Way, but I feel like it's fit probably around 15 songs or something like that. Um, and I don't know if that was like, I can't remember if, if that was a requirement from from the label at the time. Um, I know it's changed over the years what what labels kind of request as far as like the length of the album being. Um, there could have been a time where it needed to be act- actually forty five minutes or longer or something. To be honest, I really love I really love all those songs and. I think it. I think that album, for me, kind of holds a. It's. I hold it a, a little bit closer to, in a special way because it's. It's the the first album that I kind of, was able to come into my own as far as a songwriter, and, um. So I, actually, actually really love it. You know, it's sometimes it's it's hard kind of going back and listening, to your early stuff because we, you, you 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 know as you progress you you feel like you could have done things better um so you listen to your old stuff you're like oh i can't believe we did it that way or I can't believe you know we, we did things like that and uh for me I, I don't necessarily feel that way about this record i think it's 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 i'm actually really proud of it we we worked so hard to uh to put out a cool album and um I actually really love the songs. I really love all, all the parts and the riffs and and um for me it just it really shows how much work we we put into trying to to put out a really cool album.
0: What is something about Always the Hard Way that you like more than any other Terror album?
1: I re- I think I really like the recording, the way the recording came out. I really like the way the recording came out and it sounds really cool. And stands the test of time as far as just the quality of the recording. Um, sometimes you go back and listen to something that's an older record and it's like, doesn't sound that great anymore. Um, this record, I think, sounds really cool still. But uh, for me, when I listen to it, I just, I, it captures a little bit of our our youth, our, our the energy that we had at the time, and how gung ho we were to just kind of go for it make a really fast aggressive parkour record and yeah I, I, I love it
0: Thanks so much to Nick Jet for talking to us about this sick as hell album, always the hard way. Definitely give it a spin today if you've forgotten about it, or, or maybe you never forgot about it. Now's always a good time to give it a listen. Terror on tour, forever. Terror Hardcore on Instagram. Pain into Power, in stores now. Check it out. Another thing that's forever, me being Ryan Rainbow. This show being neat neat probably not forever, but for a while. And you can go to patreon.com slash pod for exclusive episodes like this one that you're already listening to. You can go to meetmeep.bigcartel and buy the t-shirt so all of your friends will think that you have some fashion sense for once. But in the meantime, my name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye!